Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. The Bible does not um, frown upon the idea of making money, of becoming rich, but the path to it is honest, hard work and wise investment. Gambling mocks and minimizes hard and honest work. There's nothing quite like the satisfaction that comes from a hard day's work. But today on Know the Truth, we'll see how gambling undercuts this gift and can have a detrimental effect on our families and communities as well. Philip DeCourcy continues a study in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. For additional resources, go online to ktt.org. Today we'll look at why gambling not only is a bad idea, it's unbiblical, with a message titled, All Bets Are Off, Part 2. If you missed Part 1, you can replay it online at ktt.org. Here's Pastor Philip. I believe by principle and by pattern, the Word of God addresses itself to the contemporary social issue of gambling. I believe that uh, the Word of God would have us not gamble, would encourage our society not to promote others to gamble. And I want to uh, come back and consider that. Proverbs 12, verse 11 He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity, or that could be translated chases fantasies, is devoid of understanding. If trends are to be trusted, and if trends point to what is happening among us as a nation, the sad fact is that America is betting its future on gambling. America is betting its future on gambling. That's true at an individual level. According to surveys, by 1974, 61% of Americans were wagering more than $47 billion annually. 15 years later, those figures were up 71% and $246 billion respectively. By 1995, the figures had soared to 95% participation at an annual outlay of $500 billion. America is betting its future on gambling. Recent figures say that on the Nevada slot machines alone, people spend $5 billion every year. 92 million American households visit casinos each year and 10% of total American wages is thrown away annually in gambling. America is betting its future on gambling. That's true at an individual level, and sadly, it's true at a state level. Over the last 10 years, state legislators have relaxed the laws on gambling. They have um, put on ballot uh, proposals to bring casinos to their major cities. Politicians are turning a vice into an economic virtue. Rather than teaching social and personal responsibility, politicians of both parties have sought to cash in on the gambling craze with contributions from casinos and tax revenue from state lotteries and more. 
In fact, in terms of contributions, my research tells me that alone in recent years, the Republicans have taken $6.1 million and the Democrats $7.6 million from gambling interests, both at a state and a national level. There is no party clean on this issue. Here is a a servant of God, according to Romans 13, who has been established for the good of society, for the promotion of law and order. It is the government's job to encourage people to social and uh, personal responsibility. But here our government at a state and national level is encouraging irresponsibility. As far as state lotteries are concerned, they are simply a political scam. This learn and earn deal is a political scam, let alone a social injustice to further tax people, especially the poor, so that politicians don't have to do the hard work of fixing their field policies. It's it's unconscionable to me that on the one hand, government officials, both at a national and a state level, encourage the giving of welfare benefits and tax breaks to the poor by means of taxing the wealthier people of our country, the most productive, who invest their wealth in the good of our economy's stability, to tax them to give to the poor, yet at the same time, in endorsing lotteries, which take a greater toll on the poor, that um, have the net effect of increased debt among the poor, devaluing work among those who need to work, harming marital and family unity in tough districts in our city. It's unconscionable on the one hand, we want to take money from the rich to give to the poor, as if that's the right thing to do, yet the same government that advocates the righteousness of that wants to put lotteries and casinos within reach of the poor, further pushing them into debt, undercutting the work ethic and undermining family and social strength and life. But that's where we're at. The social and economic benefits of gambling touted by politicians are very much miscued. Listen to these um, words from Kirby Anderson. He says this, the crime rate in gambling communities is nearly double the national average. Researchers calculate that for every dollar the state receives in gambling revenues, it costs the state at least $3 in increased social costs for criminal justice and social welfare. But unless things change, America is betting its future on gambling. By the way, just as a little historical footnote to this, and to bring some perspective, America's had a love and hate affair with gambling. Did you know that in 1776, the first Continental Congress sold lottery tickets to finance the revolution? Did you know that President Washington himself bought the first lottery ticket to build the new capital called Federal City? We renamed it Washington, D.C. That city was built with lottery tickets. That's interesting that Washington should do that when he is known for this famous quote, gambling is the child of avarice the brother of iniquity and the father of mischief. In fact, between 1790 and 1850, 24 of the 33 states sponsored government-run lotteries, which were used to build roads, canals, bridges. In fact, um, 
Lotteries were employed by more than 50 colleges, 300 lower schools, 200 churches, along with individuals and private charities. During the period of June 10th to July 2nd, 1776, Thomas Jefferson kept notes of his black gammon, cards and lotto winnings and losses, even while he was writing the Declaration of Independence. In fact, later, the Virginia legislator authorized Jefferson to conduct a lottery for his own private gain after his years in the presidency left him in dire financial straits. The lottery never happened because he died before he had a chance to implement it. We've kind of had a love and hate affair. There was a great period when lottery stopped. Gambling was seen as a bad thing. Now we're seeing it back in the front burner of political and uh, social thinking. Americans see it as a, um, a great recreational and leisure activity. Well, how are we to view gambling? Well, we started to look at six principles that seem to underscore the thought that God sees no good in gambling. And the Word of God by principle and by pattern would seem to encourage the Christian not to get involved in gambling for money or to get involved in games of chance that might involve and uh, result in financial loss. Remember what we said about gambling. We give um, a few definitions. I'll give you that definition again that I put together. Gambling is an unnecessary risk with money that is not ours ultimately in games of chance for the purpose of bettering ourselves at the expense of our neighbor. We looked at providence and prudence. Providence argues against gambling. Gambling uh, is underwritten by the whole idea of luck and chance, and people are excited about that. People yield themselves to the thrill of that. People waste money, sometimes life savings, in the hope that luck will indeed be in their favor. But the whole idea of luck, we saw, is something that's antithetical to the idea of a sovereign God and a purposeful creation. Gambling is not a harmless pastime. It is an affront to a sovereign God who orders all things after the purpose and counsel of his own will. And we saw in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 65 that God condemned Israel for offering sacrifices to the gods of good luck and bad luck. God and many. It seems to us that the providence argues against gambling. We saw secondly that prudence argues against gambling. When you consider the odds, gambling makes no sense. A wise man will not flitter away his money foolishly at the card table or the roulette wheel. Prudence argues against such activity. In fact, the book of Proverbs reminds us that God wants to live, us to live skillfully and successfully, and that comes through discernment between what is right and what is wrong, what is foolish and what is wise. Two paths are set before us in this book, and the prudent walk one and the simpleton walks another. And when you consider the trap that gambling is, the um, irresponsibility attached to it in terms of the odds of winning. Prudence argues against gambling. But thirdly, we want to consider now what I call possession argues against gambling or possessions argue against gambling. Gambling is wrong, thirdly, because it questions God's ownership of our possessions. 
The Bible presents the stewardship of material things as a crucial issue of discipleship. The Christian understands that God is the owner and the giver of all things. There's no such a thing as fate. There is a sovereign God who um, parcels out his goodness and mercy to us individually. And the Christian understands that and understands, therefore, that throughout life they are a recipient of God's grace and by implication they must act as a trustworthy trustee of what God has entrusted to them. We see this principle in the book of Proverbs. In fact, we spent the whole message looking at wisdom and material management. Proverbs 3, verse 9, Honor the Lord with your possessions. There's my word. Providence argues against gambling. Prudence argues against gambling, and possessions argue against gambling. Our wealth, our wherewithal, has been given to us by God that we might manage His grace and His goodness in a way that honors Him, that meets our needs, and is used in a way that helps others who are in need. In essence, we are money managers. That's why we're told here in, in uh, Proverbs 9, 3, verses 9 and 10, that that which God has given to us, we must give back to Him so that we might know His continued blessing. We manage that which God has given to us for our benefit and for His. We do not live with a sense of entitlement. We do live with a sense of eternity. And the fact that what God has given to us, we ourselves must use in a way that honors Him. We are accountable for how we spend our money. Therefore, we must not spend it foolishly. Gambling is foolish by anybody's standard. The chances of winning are minuscule. As we said, it's nothing like investing in a company. Although there's risk attached to that, there are predictable, controllable elements to that. But not those factors do not come into play in gambling. You have risked everything for nothing. Just the chance that the dice might fall on the right side and the card might be that which you need to finish your hand. So providence and prudence and possessions would argue against gambling. Seems to me if you think about the story in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, Jesus likens the kingdom of God to a man who goes away and leaves his servants with certain responsibilities. One was given five talents, another was given two, one was given one. The master comes back. The whole intent of the story is that the servants have to use what has been given to them wisely. The master is going to come back and hold them accountable for what has been given to them. He comes back and finds two that please him. He finds one that angers him. We read, in fact, that the one with five talents doubled it through trade. That's a word that speaks of business ventures. Could mean just the buying and selling of certain things and profit making through that. It could encompass the idea of investment that paid a return. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't see anything wrong with trading, investing. The five talents becomes 10, the two talents becomes four. And Jesus said to these servants, because you have done well in, in taking care of these little things, I'm going to give you something greater to do in my kingdom. And then this other servant stands there shivering and sweating and holds cupped in his hand the one talent. 
and says, you know, you're a hard master. And out of fear, I just buried the talent. I have nothing to give you but that which you've given me. I neither wasted it or profited from it. And Jesus tells us in that parable that the master called him a wicked and lazy servant and told him, why didn't you go down to the bank and put it in an interest-yielding account? At least I could have got something for my money. Seems to me, folks, is this not a, a, a reasonable extension of that idea? Can you imagine that one servant who had the one talent and did nothing with it, actually going to the master and saying, by the way, I had one talent, but I gambled with it and I lost it. If Jesus called him a wicked and lazy servant because he did not use his money wisely, how much more would that servant be condemned for wasting it wantonly in gambling? Risk, totally unnecessary Bottom line, gambling is a bad investment of God's resources. Everything we possess belongs to God and it's been given to us to meet our needs and to bring glory to God. Gambling puts what belongs to God at unnecessary risk. It unduly jeopardizes what God has entrusted to our care. As we connect that thought with the first thought, God would not want us to take what he has given to us and go and spread it before the gods of good luck and bad luck in the hope of glorifying him in pagan pursuits. Brings me to the fourth thought. Productivity argues against gambling. Productivity argues against gambling. If you really think about it, gambling mocks and minimizes hard and honest work, which by contrast in the book of Proverbs is underscored as a virtuous path to prosperity. The Bible does not um, frown upon the idea of making money, of becoming rich, but the path to it is honest, hard work and wise investment. The book of Proverbs highlights these thoughts. Look at Proverbs 13, verse 4. 13, verse 4, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall make him rich. The book of Proverbs honors the diligent man, ridicules the lazy man. Proverbs 14, 23. In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. Proverbs 21, 25 to 26. The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. Here you have this um, lazy person who hasn't worked, has nothing to give to others, spends his day wanting what others have, but makes no attempt to get what others have by the same means that they got it, hard, honest work. But the righteous man has worked hard. He's got enough to meet his own needs. And beyond that, he gives generously to those who are in need. In fact, the book of Proverbs encourages a man not to sleep in on life or to chase fanciful dreams, but to work hard and make the most of his opportunities. Look at Proverbs 26, verse 13 to 16. The lazy man says there is a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the streets. As a door turns on his hinges, so the lazy man turns on his bed. What a picture. The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. The Bible here is condemning a lazy man who does not take his opportunities, who wants to be taken care of 
hand and foot. Proverbs 20, verse um, 13. Do not love sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with bread. But here's the verse I think is most interesting. It's a verse um, we read at the very beginning of the sermon. Proverbs 12, verse 11. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread. Here we're encouraged to work hard and honestly, and God will use that as a means by which to provide for our daily necessities. But he who follows frivolity, vain things, empty things, I've said it can be translated, he who chases fantasies is devoid of understanding. Rax Rogers has written a tremendous book on gambling. Here's what he says about that verse in Proverbs 12, 11. There is no better definition for chasing fantasies than gambling. Gambling encourages people not to work and to throw their money away on blind wishes. By gambling, people attempt to make void God's principle. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Gambling masquerades as a surrogate for work. It undermines work, rationality, responsibility, but work is both a command and a gift from God. That's what's so sad about our state legislators endorsing lotteries and the expansion of legal gambling because they're encouraging people not to work, but they're encouraging people to irrationality and irresponsibility. It's the last thing a government servant should be doing. The book of Proverbs warns us to work hard, to not chase fantasies. The book of Proverbs holds work up as a gift, as a means by which man does himself good subdues the earth and brings glory to the Creator. Hey, Philip DeCourcy again. I just want to take a moment to tell you a bit about the ministry of Know the Truth and why we exist. Do you ever watch the evening news and find yourself completely shocked at what you see? I know I do. It's hard to believe how far our society has fallen from the truth of God's Word. We live in a world where it seems falsehood is king, and truth is described as something relative, even non-existent. The search for it, futile. But the Bible says that truth has always existed, and that truth took on human flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ, and it therefore can be known. We can indeed know the truth, because truth is a person named Jesus. Jesus tells us that in John fourteen six. The sad reality of our fallen and dying world is due to a lack of knowing truth, a lack of knowing the Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why Know the Truth exists. It's our mission, our joy, our passion to share the gospel with a world in desperate need of truth through clear, compelling, convictional Bible teaching. The Word of God itself is truth. Because Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Free indeed. Amen. And if you believe in what we're doing here at Know the Truth and you'd like to get involved in making the truth of God's Word known, the best way to get involved is by becoming one of our Truth Ambassadors. These monthly supporters help cover the many costs it takes to plan, produce, and distribute Know the Truth on the radio and Internet. Their faithful monthly gifts help reach men and women all over the country and world with God's Word at no cost to them. Truth Ambassadors also receive exclusive resources from Pastor Philip, including a special welcome package, a monthly newsletter just for them, and a copy of each monthly resource. 
In May, you'll receive the book titled Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God by Tim Challies. If you or someone you know is going through a season of loss and could use some encouragement and strengthening, then this book is for you. Combining personal narrative, sound theology, and beautiful writing, this book is an honest look at grief, fear, faith, and hope, and will help readers behold the goodness of God in all of life's seasons. You can request your copy today with a gift of any amount. Just call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And while you're on the website, you'll find instructive and inspiring resources like Pastor Philip's Truth Matters devotional, which challenges believers to embrace God's unchanging word in an ever-changing world and live each day for His glory. Well, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Glad you joined us for today's broadcast. Next time, we'll wrap up our series in the book of Proverbs with the conclusion of a message titled, All Bets Are Off. Don't miss Philip DeCourcy, Friday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.